to thank you for letting me have the privilege to speak to you today and choosing this particular pair of psalms. We're going to be reading in the two psalms again. Also, we'll be studying some in the book of Matthew and Romans chapter 8. I think they're all very related. So if you don't mind, we'll read the psalms together and be thinking about them a little bit more. Uh, these are called Psalm, Songs of Ascent. They were sung as people were going up to Jerusalem to, to worship. And I realize that some psalms are meant to be read in pairs. Uh, you sometimes realize that as you're studying through the book of Psalms, and they'll teach you this as well. But as I read these psalms, I realized there are quite a contrast in the before and after and there is something that binds them together. There is a common thread in them. And that common thread is wait on the Lord. It's one of the common threads to learn to wait on the Lord. The other common thread is two different attitudes about a person's soul. One is the soul is in anguish. One, the soul is in rest, is, is tranquil like a child. So what can we learn about these psalms that teach us about the second stage, learning to rest in the Lord? One thing that I realized uh, studying the Bible and realizing these psalms came together is that one of them is quoted in Matthew chapter 1. As I said, um, we're going to be reading some in Matthew and it's rather surprising who quotes or at least alludes to this psalm, and that is um, an angel. When Jesus is going to be born, and the angel appears to Joseph, and he tells Joseph his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I thought, okay, what does that mean? The first time I read that, it was rather surprising to think they would call him this because he would save his people from his sins. And I wonder what that meant. Well, here at the end of this psalm, the first psalm, the Lord redeems people. That means he sets them free. He, he will save Israel from their iniquities, from their sins. Some versions translate as sins or evils, transgressions. And apparently the angel is alluding to this psalm, perhaps these two psalms, when he tells who is Jesus going to be. So I realize there's a connection between these two psalms and the Gospel of Matthew especially, and other Gospels as well. And as I meditated on the two psalms, I started to notice some links, some things that drew them together and made me stop and think. So let's read through them, and uh, again, as, we, as we're studying and talking today. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice, let your ears be attentive to the voice of, of my, literally, cries for mercy. And the word cry here is the same word that we find in Romans 8. I say we're going to find some similarities between Romans 8 and Matthew. In Romans 8, we're told that 
those who are sons of God are led by the Holy Spirit. And as sons, we cry out, Abba, which means Daddy. And that crying out is the word that's used for, for yelling. It's a shout. And when you read about Abba, which in Romans 8 is in Galatians 4, it's also in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is praying in Gethsemane, he says, Father, Abba, free me from this cup if it is your will. And we see his anguish, his suffering at that moment. And this is the kind of intensity we see in the first psalm. The intensity of crying from the depths when you are in anguish. This is the, the kind of intensity that we see in that call. This is the cry of Abba that we learn as Christians. This is something that's very peculiar to Christians because when we are baptized, receive the gift of the, spirits, of, the, of the Spirit of the Son, and we are able to call God Father, Abba. I think in English you say Abba, not Abba, right? You say Abba. But um, this is a very deep way of praying to God. It's out of anguish. And for some reason, the man who's praying is in anguish. He's praying out of the depths. And what he wants to, what he wants is for God to hear him. Hear my cry of anguish. Hear me. And this is what, when we read Romans 8, and we read about Jesus praying, Abba, we read about praying in the midst of suffering, uh, not being able to express what you want to say in prayer, and how the Holy Spirit translates that before God, how he intercedes, and how Jesus, in Romans 8, is interceding besides God's right hand for us. And so this is, when you talk about a prayer of a child, it's intensive, it's very intent, it's very sometimes out of anguish. Those of you who have had children, or all of us who have been children, know that when we are wanting, for some, wanting something and asking for something, we don't always ask for it the right way. And what is common, I think, to all of us at that point in life, and still as we are children of God now, is the intensity of how we ask for something. So this is part of becoming, attaining a childlike spirit. Verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, it says in this verse, in this translation, O Lord, who could stand? If you could mark iniquities, if you kept account of sins, who could, who could stand? If you read in the book of Revelation, that question is asked, who could stand before the, the, the Lamb? And in chapter 6 and chapter 7, those who stand before the Lamb are those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. So Christians have an answer to this question, who can stand if God took account, kept a record of sins? But with you there is, verse 4, with you there is fearedness that you may be feared. The, the translation, at least um, as far as I understand it, is fearing God 
is perhaps more than reverencing God. Reverence sounds like respect. It does not exactly do justice to the word, in my opinion. Uh, To fear God does not mean that you are scared of God in a way that you can't act. Do you know the parable that Jesus taught about the man who received received different, um, I think it's called talents, which was money to invest? One received one, one received three, one five, I think that's the amount. I forget the amounts they received. But the first one hid his talent. And he said, I was afraid of you. I know that you're very hard and that you judge very severely. And the answer was, well, why didn't you invest it? If you do that, I'm like that. Why didn't you invest it? So I understand that to fear God does not mean that we are paralyzed by fear. Because fear can paralyze a person. Whereas reverence for God, fear of God that's holy, understands everything that he has done for us how he is the judge of all the universe. And because of this, he can forgive us. And when a child goes to God in prayer, he's going to a God who forgives our sins. Sometimes, at least the person who is praying this prayer out of the depths, out of anguish, he's doing this apparently because of his sin. But he knows that God can forgive me. And Christians know that when we confess our sins to God, he washes us with the blood of Jesus. So we know forgiveness comes from him. So now we go to the next idea, which is to wait for the Lord. And again, the second mention of this psalm, the uh, the mention of uh, waiting, the soul waiting. Both of these psalms mention the soul. In chapter 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. When you think about how a watchman waits for the morning, uh, I don't know if you've ever been awake all night because maybe you're worried about something or you're waiting for somebody to come in, or maybe your kid's out or out and you know where they are. Well, you're awake all night, and you're waiting for whatever you're waiting for to come. And um, this is the kind of waiting that I understand as a very intense feeling. This is a very intense psalm. The person is crying to the Lord out of the depths of his heart. He's waiting. He's, when I read this, I think... Well, maybe it's not so bad to be upset about something or to be, anxi- to be anxious. Whoever wrote did this was anxious. So I think part of having a child's spirit and going to Jesus with a childhood spirit is the anxiety of the way we ask for things. I think that's part of the intensity in which we wait for things. And then the last verse. O Israel, hope in the Lord... For with the Lord there is steadfast love, with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Which is this verse I think is alluded to in Matthew 1, verse 21. So again, the psalmist is relying on God's forgiveness. In him there is steadfast love, with him is plentiful redemption. The word redemption, which is a common word for us and means salvation, 
is a word Jesus uses uh, when he says that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Uh, redemption is something that gives you freedom. It sets you free. Again, this takes us to the Gospel of Matthew, of course, where Jesus says that he came to give his life as a ransom. And when we approach God in prayer, uh, from the aspect of God is Father, that he is our close Father, then we're asking for him to free us from problems, to free us from anxiety, free us from perhaps some sin that's besetting us. So this is part of knowing this, knowing that God is, we can wait on him because in him there is plentiful redemption, there is freedom. This, besides taking me to Matthew, this takes me again to Romans 8, which begins by saying, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. And part of this being set free is being able to call upon God as Father and saying, free me, help me, forgive me. This is part of being free from the law of sin and death. Let's go on to the second psalm. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I think in the NIV it says, My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. As I mentioned, both of these psalms mention the soul. The first is the, the intense longing of the soul. The second is, my soul has been quieted. I think this is something else that binds these two psalms together. And many times when we are praying to the Lord in our intensity, in Philippians 4 it says, God will give you your peace. Sometimes that peace does not come immediately but it's a question of continuing to prayer, to pray. So I think that this, um, these two psalms are also brought together by the fact of how the soul responds in prayer before and after. Before and after. The, we read today in Matthew 18, 1 through 3, where Jesus talks to his disciples about becoming like children. And there he is requiring them to change in Matthew 18. Uh, they argue about who is the most important in the kingdom. And apparently this is at least the third time they've argued about this. Uh, it was a repetitive problem. And on uh, at least two of the occasions, he takes a child, he holds the child and says, you must become like this child. Well, what is a child like? In that particular society, 
I think the expression children are seen, not heard, may be an exaggeration. They weren't even often seen sometimes. They had no power. The question of who is the most important would not be a child. Where I live, uh, there's a common saying, the only privileged people are children. Well, that's true in some sense, but in that society, children did not have, they could not boss, they could not make decisions. And the whole question of who is the most important is not something a child could ask because it would not be, it would be ridiculous. And so, change and become like children. Well, I think that this second psalm is what has happened. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. This wanting to know things that are too important for us, this is something that at this stage of prayer, the person has obtained. He has moved away from that. However, does he stay there? That's the question that we ask ourselves when we read this. At the very end, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Literally, it says now and into eternity, forever. That's the last verse. This is something that we learn now to give ourselves to the Lord in prayer and accept afterwards the peace that comes from that. But Look at this second uh, example he gives. I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. The first example of the soul was the, the, the sentries, the, the people on guard all night long. They're waiting, they're anxious, they're eager, they're intense. The second example of the, of the soul is this child in his mother's arms who's been maybe not in his mother's arms, weaned. He's, he's, he's rested. He is at peace. Both of these, I think, are two aspects of attaining a childlike spirit. Both the deep longing, the intense prayer, and the acceptance of what gives to us. Um, I think both of these examples, the centuries all night long, and the child... In prayer, the childlike spirit of resting in the Lord are things that we are learning. It's not something we have achieved. It's now, Israel, wait in the Lord now and forever. Both of these psalms are, as I said, they are connected by wait in the Lord, hope in the Lord, the patience. The, the sentry who waits all night, he has to wait. He has no choice. The child who is waiting in his mother's arms is resting. But both of these are aspects of our learning to wait in the Lord. Sometimes we don't have any options. We have to wait in the Lord because that's all we have. Other times we've learned that that's a good place to wait, a good place to to rest. Okay. Um, I mentioned, we've mentioned two places in Matthew where this psalm seems to be leading us. The first is the angel, when he says Jesus will be named Jesus because he will save 
He will save his people from their sins. The difference, of course, is the psalmist talking about saving Israel from their iniquities. But when we get to Matthew, God's people is no longer just Israel. God's people is all nations who will repent and are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and learn to obey Him. So this is part of what does it mean to be saved from our sins? If we read Matthew, what are we learning about being saved from our sins? As Christians, we know the, the initial step, which is to believe, to repent, to confess, to be baptized, and to remain faithful. But if, as you read Matthew, you see um, it's not, it's an ongoing process. You're learning to obey what Jesus commanded. Matthew begins and ends with the idea of God with us. In Matthew 1, he is going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And they name him Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. If you think about the, uh, Emmanuel from the book of Isaiah, what in Isaiah 7 and 9, if you read those chapters, God is saving Israel from enemies. He's saving them from invaders. But when you read Matthew, God is present with his people. He's going to save them from their sins. He saves us from our sins initially when we believe in Jesus as Savior. We repent and are baptized. And then we learn to obey him. But I think that as we learn to obey, he's also saving us from our sins. For example, when you read the gospel, you read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is how to become a disciple of Jesus, how to live as a disciple of Jesus. These are very demanding teachings that we have. Well, he's saving us from our sins by teaching us to live a different way. And as we learn to live a different way, we're being saved from our sins, from a sinful life. I think this is a gradual lifestyle. It's not a, a change that we make like that. Uh, when you become a Christian, you don't learn to do everything Jesus obey, um, commands you overnight. In fact, I think all of us, if we're honest, would say we're still learning to obey some of it, most of it, a lot of it. Some of us are struggling with other things. Well, that, lear- that learning to obey is what a child is learning. That's part of the attaining a childhood spirit. We go, we go back to this psalm and we struggle with obedience. We struggle with um, the intensity of learning to obey or to be forgiven of something or learning to make a decision which is difficult. And then we learn to accept and to rest in God's hands. These are ways that I have learned to go to this psalm, these psalms and the Gospel of Matthew and Romans 8 where I can pray as a child does. Um, again, again, the word says in Romans eight fifteen, crying to God is the word using for shouting to God. Um, Abba is where you can really unload yourself to God and tell him exactly what's going on. And as a child, knowing that he will do what's rest. He will do what's best. I've learned to rest in the Lord, wait in the Lord. I hope that these thoughts have helped you, and I, uh, I hope that you can perhaps reflect on 
Psalms 130, 131, the Gospel of Matthew, and of course, Romans 8, all the book of Romans, all the Bible. If there's anyone here today who needs, for some reason, to um, ask for the congregation's help in this process of coming to Jesus, I think we have a song selected now for that purpose. <laughs> 